to welcome everybody to the Adam King Show. I am Adam King, your host, and this is my personal Ed McMahon, Rock Breath. How you doing, Rock? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm good. How was the weekend by you? Oh, fantastic. The weather was very well here. So without further ado, I'm going to jump in because we got a huge show today. We got a packed panel and tons of news to cover. From last show to this show, we had the Queen's death, 9-11, and a ton of stuff. So with that being said, I am going to get straight into today's news. So first thing on our list that I want to talk about, uh, Daily Mail reports stunning survey reveals almost half of San Francisco's residents have been robbed in the last five years. As a woke NPR affiliate slams reporters who share videos exposing the city's filth and chaos. That's Nancy Pelosi and Gavin Newsom right there. Yeah, you know what, it's funny because that really is a, um, it's a hard hitting fact. You know, I, I lived near San Francisco for a while, so yeah, cool. It's a disgusting city full of human feces and heroin needles. Yeah, I don't think I can go back. Good news though, uh, the foreign minister of Dubai, the UAE Abdullah bin Zayed landed in Israel visited Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum, and laid a wreath, which is a tremendous sign of progress for these two nations. What do you think about that? I think it's fantastic. You good know, news, right? Yeah, of course, of course. I love it. I love having good news come out of the Middle East. I love it. And look at him lay that wreath down. He's so serious, too. And I'll tell you, I got a lot of Jewish friends who have moved to Dubai recently, and they're, and they're loving it. They get... Yeah unbelievable treatment the people there are so friendly they all go to each other's bar mitzvahs it's a, it's a really wonderful thing next on our list charlie kirk slams hillary clinton since when does hillary have a problem with young children being flown to unfamiliar islands full of rich white people and let's not forget this photo with uh, our former president with his arm up on Giselaine maxwell and some underage girl Gateway Pundit reports Ontario high school transgendered teacher with unbelievable huge breasts uh, is uh, defended in her in, in his classroom by the school and parents had no recourse. Look at these. Look at these. Have you ever seen a woman with boobs like that, Rock? Dude, they're, that's just a vest he's wearing. It's not, they're not real boobs. No, I think he did get surgery for that. For real? And some doctor did that to him? Shame I on never wished them. more for someone's back to go out for having yeah. too big of a bust. <laughs> Shame on both of them. And into our meme section. Meanwhile, Martha's Vineyard, the Obamas have become the, uh, the uh, newest... Uh, Expel them all, team. I think I, I, this one captivated me. I, I I thought you know the the McClintocks and uh, uh, it, this was a this one really encapsulated how I feel about this. <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio Cortez crying in front of Martha's Vineyard. By the way, she has gotten uglier and uglier and uglier. When she came into Congress, she was such a beautiful woman. I saw her in a hearing. Uh, the other day and I, she looked like a beaver i mean like what happened you start telling lies and you start getting ugly well it's it's not just that you know she's um she's angry and when you're angry for so long you become ugly as well domestic oil is the new ivermectin you can't have it because it will resolve the crisis that they need you to go through and one of my favorites come on do some domestic terrorism 
They just want their police state. The IRS released their pronouns this week, theirs, theirs, and theirs, <laughs> 87,000 of them. <laughs> and this one to commemorate 9-11, for all the 9-11 truthers out there who really wanna know what happened, we never forget 9-11, but we forget building seven. And how to prevent the next pandemic, we burn down the World Economic Forum. With that being said, I wanna to jump to our panel and we will come back to some funny memes later. Thank you, Rock, for all your, uh, your help on the show. And with that, I am yeah. going to bring in our guests. Joining us on the panel today, we have one of America's most brilliant activists, organizer of the Stop the Steal movement, and many other behind the scenes things, Ali Alexander, mathematician from University of Chicago, PhD professor from Duke University, speechwriter to Donald Trump and presidential appointee to the preservation of American heritage abroad, CEO of Revolver News, Darren Beatty, and the man who needs no introduction at all, who is America's favorite political operative, host of the Stone Zone, Roger Stone himself. Thank you guys for being here. Be here. So um, I wanna start on, uh, uh, Roger just got back from an amazing uh, tour. Did either of you guys see the reawakened speech he gave uh, over the weekend? That was over the weekend, correct, Roger? That is correct. I spoke on uh, Friday uh, and it only took me 13 hours to get from Fort Lauderdale, Florida uh, to uh, Post Falls, Idaho, which is right outside of Spokane. Unfortunately, I also had to take my life in my hands in the Spokane uh, airport when some uh, woke leftist uh, started uh, screaming, hollering, making actual threats against me. Wow. You then, then you then go to TSA and say, look, we have a problem here. And they say, no, no, I'm sorry. We, we can't possibly spare an officer to get you to the gate. You're on your own. Wow. It's, um, it's just, uh, it's now part and parcel of the way the American left operates. Violence, public shaming, uh, uh, th this kind of uh, harassment, Ali can tell you, I mean, it's, it's common day. If you get recognized, and unfortunately, thanks to the folks at CNN, I'm still universally uh, recognized, uh, then you take your life in your hands to go to the supermarket or the drugstore or God forbid, an airport. Uh, the same thing to a lesser degree on the way back uh, through Atlanta. Then what happens is leftists take your picture waiting you know, at your gate, put it up on Twitter and say, if you are at the uh, Atlanta airport, Roger Stone is at gate B9, go and tell him to go F himself. Wow. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's very sad and people say to me, well, you know, maybe if you didn't wear a suit, maybe if you wore a baseball hat, maybe if you wore aviators, yeah. the hell with that. Maybe if you would just be somebody you're not, be a different person, you won't be attacked. Well, I'm not going to stop being Roger Stone just to satisfy some woke leftist, but it, it's a sad reality. It really is. And I wish I could afford the money for private security, for professional security, but unfortunately I cannot. So you have to make a choice. Do you travel and continue to speak? Uh, or do you just barricade yourself in your own home? 
And you mentioned this on your in your speech at, on the Reawaken tour, and I thought it was actually amazing what you said that your grandchildren came up to you and wanted you asked you, "Hey, would you retire and live out your days and write a couple books and whatnot?" And your response was that you need to fight for this country. At, I believe sixty eight years old, and you know I, I have to say with that fortitude, you know America cannot fail. You know when we have leaders like you. Another great thing that you said in your speech, which kind of um, went along with what uh, Darren ha had a had an amazing interview with Mark Gantz uh, uh, just recently, and you said on your speech, Roger, that um, we need to develop our own platforms and we need to uh, um, build each other up. And I really think you hit the head hard here uh, when, with, with that. It's something that that we all need to, to focus on as conservatives, um, eliminating our, our petty differences between each other, fighting together. You didn't choose to be in a trench with these people and we need to build each other up. Um, and, uh, and, and Darren kind of touched on that in, in his uh, Gantz interview, uh, especially um, you know, when he spoke about the differences between Trump and DeSantis, you know, everybody's going around saying, who do we choose, Trump or DeSantis, Trump or DeSantis. It's not a matter of Trump or DeSantis. We've got two great candidates here who uh, need to be working together to stop the, the common enemy. Um, Darren, you want to comment on, uh, on some of the stuff that you were talking about on that show? Um, yes. Did we just lose your video? I think we lost him. Al, are you on? He's back. There he is. I think you got a bad connection I was, there. I was saying, um, as I, I plugged in Ethernet, so it should be should be strong. But okay. um, but yeah, let me know if it if it starts getting bad, and I'll I'll uh, sure. hear the situation as. Uh, no, I, I think both and DeSantis are excellent, as I've said in, in multiple venues. I'm a personal beneficiary of DeSantis's leadership as a proud resident of Florida. I think, though, that uh, the efforts to kind of inaugurate or coronate DeSantis as the new sort of uh, leader for the right or the anti-establishment um, sort of populist movement can be a bit premature. Um, and, you know, some of the reasons for that is I think it's, you know, it's about a lot more than having the right policies. In fact, and certainly operated in 2016, the stakes are so high when you're facing the coordinated opposition of every powerful institution in the world that it really comes down to certain very, very rare personality characteristics that um, really have nothing to do with having the right policies as to whether you can withstand that sort of what I call the pain box. And so I think on these critical dimensions, DeSantis has not yet been tested, but I'm certainly optimistic about his political future. I, I feel the same way. And one of the great highlights from that interview, you were asked if, they, if you could choose between uh, one President DeSantis or 10 Governor DeSantis's. You said I would, without a hesitation, you said 10 Governor DeSantis's. And I, and I think that that's, you know, we need that govern, govern, governor leadership like we have with uh, Kerry Lake, like Doug Mastriano, 
some of these proud American patriots who are, who are stepping up. Um, and I want to pivot to you, Ali. Uh, um, first of all, you got so much going on. You're one of America's most fearless patriots on the front lines doing the good work. Tell us what's going on in your, in your case with January 6th. Give us an update on, on things happening with you. Well, you know, I wish I was as happy a warrior uh, as my friend Roger and then uh, Dr. Beatty. I think that um, they do a, a great job of giving the constructive case on how we should respond to, frankly, an authoritarian government that's trying to stomp us out. So uh, kudos to them. Uh, me, I'm still in kind of survival mode, but actually recently, a couple weeks ago, I traveled to Nebraska. Um, the grassroots infrastructure kind of took on the party and won there. So they took over the state party. And I went to one of their functions and, and spoke there. Um, and uh, it was really therapeutic for me because it actually was my first public appearance since uh, post J6, you know, in, in, in person. So I've done these events like the Alex's War premiere or other private events, or I've done interviews like with you and and uh, Dr. Ben Stein, uh, but I hadn't publicly spoken uh, to the grassroots and it was really just encouraging to see how many election integrity activists are still out there pounding the pavement, how our movement really was the bedrock and the foundation for this parent rights movement that took on bad school boards and other you know, weird, bizarre, creepy policies that are being pushed by teachers unions and educators that are trying to pervert the children. And so uh, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, we had a, there was a court document that leaked uh, from Brandon Strzok's case. He leads the walkaway movement, which confirmed that the FBI did put uh, several of us, myself included, under a criminal investigation post um, J6. And, um, and we've had a wave of whistleblowers since. So I'm actually very encouraged that we can uh, use some of this momentum to make the uh, constructive case on our side uh, uh, to, you know, why this government is so bad and why, you know, we need the ability to um, legislate this stuff in the public square because, um, you know, things are, are getting awfully spicy out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to take a moment just to pause and reflect on our amazing leadership that we've had as a movement promoting nonviolent strategies to overcoming uh, this insane um, totalitarianism that, that we all face. And one person in particular that constantly, constantly beats the drum of pacification is Alex Jones. He does such a great job. I watch him all the time. He does such a great job uh, making sure that the masses don't go to violence, don't give in to what they want. They want to be able to uh, roll out uh, uh, police to uh, engage violently with, with, with the right. They're, they're looking for that fight. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I feel you in your struggle. You have you, all you guys, I mean, Darren excluded. I mean, he did get fired from, uh, from the administration, unfortunately, but, <laughs> but at least he didn't have to go up against the firing squad like the two of you. Roger, what do you have to say to Ali for his, with, with everything that he's going through? Uh, well, first of all, and he already knows this. I pray for him every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, I made this point in my in my speech. I'm a I'm a political strategist, and for 40 years I would look at any problem or any challenge, and I would outline a strategy. The one strategy you touched on, which is extraordinarily important, uh, 
it is important to recognize that Trump's election in 2016 was only possible because of the availability of an unfettered, uncensored internet. The, the deep state, the, the Silicon Valley legacy media Democrat cabal currently running the country and currently controlling all mass communications for the first time in American history, whether it is broadcast television, cable television, corporately owned radio, which is systematically squeezing out the independently owned stations, all print media, newspapers, magazines, and now the internet. Um, the fact that we had a free open internet in 2016 allowed for the election of Donald Trump. They have recognized that problem. They have systematically put the toothpaste back in the tube. Um, we have a level of censorship now that is hard to fathom. Uh, I had just under 1 million followers on Twitter banned in 2017. I had 3.5 million followers on Facebook banned in, in 2020. I had 245,000 on Instagram banned in 2020. So um, believe me, until you've been canceled, until you become a non-person, uh, put it this way, Fox News and bookers are not calling, trying to get <laughs> on, on board. So uh, what we need to do is recognize that they do not own the internet. They only own highly influential software that is in wide use on the internet. And therefore, as Alex Jones has proven, as uh, Mike Lindell has proven, you can build a sturdy, secure platform on the internet if you avoid using cheap plug-in software that allows them to take you down. In other words, don't go build a fine, beautiful mansion on a foundation of sand, parlor. Don't right. don't rely on Apple uh, or uh, or uh, the Google Store, Truth Social, because uh, ultimately they're going to pull the bricks out from under okay. your home, and your home is going to collapse. So what we need to do, as a movement, is to build our own net-based community using independent servers using independent uh, non-cancelable platforms to have our own news platforms, our own crowdfunding platforms, our own event platforms, our own live streaming platforms. This can be done. Alex Jones demonstrates that not only can it be done, but it can be done at great profit. Amen. Uh, Mike Lindell to a lesser degree is proving the exact same thing. If we cannot communicate with each other and with everyone else, uh, then we can never succeed politically. We can never galvanize and mobilize the people. So that is the, that is the real answer to, uh, to the challenge that faces us. And then going back to the larger point, other than that strategy, which is, I think, the single most important thing to do, I'm praying. I'm praying. I don't have a strategy. That I, is the I, believe, I believe he has a strategy. You just hit it on the head, Roger. Prayer is the most single thing that we could do. The most important thing that we could do collectively is to pray. 
and to rely on God, especially in, in a situation like this. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to, uh, what you said struck me deep in my heart. Uh, I think people, look, people find it odd coming from me. There is no question whatsoever that I did not always put my faith in the Lord, even though I had been uh, you know, baptized as a Roman Catholic and had my first Holy Communion and my confirmation and was married in the Catholic Church. Um, I lived the life of a libertine. I was a willful uh, uh, sinner. Uh, and then uh, in the darkest days of being targeted in the Mueller investigation, uh, I turned to the Lord and I have no regrets about talking about it. I talk about it openly. I'm mocked by Media Matters for America. I'm mocked on Salon, I'm mocked on the, by the Daily Beast. I don't care what they think. I, I only care what, what he thinks. That's all I care about. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm absolutely convinced just by reading the Bible that we know how this story ends. Yeah. We may not know how we get there, but we do know that, that, that good triumphs over evil and that the godly triumph over the godless. And today's Democratic Party, uh, this is not the Democratic Party of John F. Kennedy and Harry Truman. This is not an anti-communist, patriotic Democratic Party that just has a different governing philosophy uh, than we do when it comes to spending and taxes. Uh, both parties are controlled by a neocon duopoly uh, that has run the country for 30 years. And Donald You're talking about the satanic deep state. Yeah, and, and Donald Trump is an intrinsic threat to that order. In other words, Jeb Bush versus Hillary Clinton. Boys, everything's decided. It doesn't matter who wins. No matter who wins, we win. Their policies really, when you get down to it, are identical. Maybe right. their tax policies are slightly different, but other than that, their policies are identical. Trump is such an antithetical threat to the established order in Washington. Just the fact that he is uncontrollable, just the fact that he puts America first and that all policies are measured under his presidency on what is best for America, not what's best for our allies, not what's best for our enemies, what is best for America, that's an intrinsic threat. Now, uh, I want to get back. We are where we are today. I want to get back to what you were saying earlier about censorship and ask the good professor here what he thinks about the Supreme Court ruling that just uh, allowed residents in Texas to sue big tech companies for violations of censorship. Darren, what do you think is going to be the outcome of this? And, and, and how do you think uh, people like Alex Jones, who are in Austin, Ali Alexander, who is in Texas as well, how can they take advantage of this new law to, to effect immediate change and, and, and really stick it to the system? Well, I think as far as this particular case, it's a bit premature to say. Um, I'd, I'd like to see like a very successful sort of proof of concept in terms of actually um, actually outmaneuvering the censorship regime on that state by state level. But I, of course, encourage um, state governors around the country to make every effort they can just to be on the offense. It's it's always better than doing nothing. Um, I think Roger's remarks regarding sort of parallel institutions, parallel platforms are extremely important. Um, I think we do need people, to, and I and I think that actually Alex Jones is probably the best example of somebody who is truly. I you know I 
talked to Alex about this before, um, when there was another individual that went through the meat grinder of cancellation, a very popular TikToker called, called Andrew Tate. And I said, look, this is one of the major examples of internet cancellation, probably one of the top three. And Alex Jones is certainly in the top three. And he was one of the first. And for somebody who's been that canceled to maintain his infrastructure that the way he does and keep up a production value that really is equal to, if not supersedes the level of Fox, because one problem that we see, I think, on a lot of sort of right-wing media outlets is just extremely low production value that I think is devastating uh, as far as really communicating effectively to a mass audience. It just, it, it touches people's sort of subconscious neural circuitry and immediately associates poor production value with something that's sort of um, just lower quality information and high production value is sort of circuited in people's subconscious as being connected with illegitimacy and 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 authority. And so I think that's really a model to be celebrated. And frankly, I would hope that Alex Jones might sort of take on a role more of as a kind of mentor and show people to the extent possible of how to how to replicate uh, his his success in this regard. Um, that being said, I think there are some important limitations to the sort of parallel institution model. Um, I think there's no such thing as being uncancelable. It's just what layer they have to attack you on in order to cancel you. And so there's, you know, these mass sort of platforms that benefit from real profound sort of network effects that really are the most conducive to mass communication. And that's, you know, the Twitter, the YouTube, the Facebook, all of the things that conservatives typically get deplatformed from. But I think part of the reason that we think that parallel institutions are the effective route is that parallel institutions and, and alternative platforms haven't yet reached the stage of um, impact such that the regime thinks to go after them. And so I think that can provide sort of a false confidence to a certain degree that this is the actual viable long-term solution because ultimately the bottleneck is not any specific platform. It's not even the internet, it's the regime. The regime controls the internet. And I think a lot of the discourse surrounding the internet on the right that has sort of relied on ultimately false dichotomies of characterizing these tech companies as private companies. But really when it matters, these tech companies are extensions of the national security state. And we've seen example after example of this. And in fact, just recently, there is a website, which frankly, I'm not endorsing it, you know, harbored a lot of information like doxing, which I think is 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 a, a very wrong thing, but I do believe in free speech. And there is a site called Kiwi Farms that was basically attacked on a different dimension, and that is they lost their Cloudflare protection. Now, Cloudflare basically protects websites from DDoS attacks, which is a specific type of attack that can take any website basically clean off of the internet. And there have only been like two or three cases in the history of the internet of Cloudflare um, withdrawing its protection services to a website. And, and this recent case of Kiwi Farms is precisely that. And so there are other 
um, uh, uh, sensitivities to the infrastructure of the internet and what allows a site to stay online that the regime hasn't really leaned on yet because they haven't had to. But I think even as we sort of build these parallel platforms, which is important, it's, I'm not saying this to dissuade any of that, I, I advocate a full spectrum approach to this, but I think we should also keep in mind that um, the bottleneck is ultimately ultimately the regime. And as soon as an alternative tactic becomes effective, that same bottleneck will come into play and will pull on levers that they haven't really exercised up until this point because they haven't had to. I'm going to ask you the same question, Ali. What do you think about the uh, Supreme Court's uh, decision? And, and do you agree with Darren's uh, 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 position on this? Yeah, Adam, I, uh, I'm going to try not to filibuster here, but I could talk about this issue for probably 30 minutes without stopping. You know, what's, what's interesting about my career and Roger Stone's career, which is um, sort of an anomaly to most uh, Republican operatives uh, or, or conservatives that work in, um, in uh, the think tank space or the uh, C4, C3 space, is that we kind of went reverse. We were professional operatives consultants that went the activist route. Most activists aspire to become professional consultants right. and activists. We've kind of done it in, in reverse. And so what a lot of people don't uh, know about my career, uh, unless you followed it for the 15 years I've been in politics, is I was basically part of the first, we called it the second wave, but in retrospect, it was part of the first wave. I was, I was the first 15 or so operatives in the, uh, the GOP digital space, or back then we called it new media. You know, we, we did, well, it was online media, new media, we tried modern media, went back to new media, and now it's just called this ominous digital. And so this is actually how I made my bread and butter. It wasn't through comment, uh, uh, commentary or punditry or, you know, I'm the Fox News Black Republican. It was through, you know, pioneering conversion rates with petitions and email marketing and social media and all that other stuff. And um, uh, so I got into politics to solve a very specific problem, planning to only be in it for three years and then get out. And I've just never been able to get out. <laughs> and um, they kept you uh, here. They, they chained you to say, no, we're not going to let Ali go. We want to send well, him to we'll see. Uh, I, I'm still trying. I'm still trying. But, but uh, so the, the recent decision by a federal court was, I believe, to um, remove a stay on the, uh, the Texas law that is a lot like the Florida law that prevents uh, big tech platforms from censoring political uh, candidates. Um, and so uh, it's interesting because the Florida law has basically been knocked down. Uh, this Texas, uh, the federal court, uh, one of the federal courts uh, in, in Texas decided to remove the stay. So this is gonna be appealed all the way up until it eventually, I believe does reach the Supreme Court and because I'm a lover of politics, law, and technology, this is why I can nerd out on this issue, is that conservatives think about the legal space uh, uh, regarding speech online entirely wrong. It's, you know, it's, it's recently why you saw, you know, Laura Loomer's taken multiple stabs at this. And unfortunately, I think that she's just gotten some bad legal advice. You know, Donald Trump, he's taken a stab at this. Again, bad legal advice. The way conservatives are approaching the big tech issue is on free speech when we should be attacking it as a liability. And so the better way of thinking of how do we 
not diminish the First Amendment uh, while, while giving uh, big tech platforms and other corporations uh, enough liability to where they're equally enforcing their terms of service. So it's equally intolerable for all of us or equally allowable for most of us is that, okay, there's the free speech angle, which we're always going to lose. Um, there's the uh, defamation angle, which is what, um, is what namely section 230 is about. Section 230 is basically where it says that, the, that if, if a user engages in, in a tort or defamation, um, then you can't sue the platform as a party. So you can't sue the user and the platform. The platform just provided the space. What's really interesting now, and we saw this with, uh, what's his name, Alex Brennison or whatever his name is. He went to California, so he chose the right jurisdiction, right? Most conservatives choose the totally wrong jurisdiction. He went ahead and seated jurisdiction, goes to California, sues Twitter, and gets his Twitter account back. Why? Because he says, look, I'm a part of a contract. This is contract law. I signed up for a terms of service. Twitter was supposed to provide me these services. And by the way, they're not providing me these services, and they're not equally enforcing this. I believe I was targeted. And by using you know, California consumer laws, um, he was able to get his Twitter account back. And then it was later outed that the Biden administration participated in this censorship. And so then we get into the state actor stuff, which is a, a total separate cause. And so what I right, would say- is, The FBI and Facebook. Yeah, I'm, I'm very encouraged that um, we can live in a future where we can coexist with the First Amendment, Section 230 with minimal changes, and uh, also giving the companies enough liability through, uh, through um, consumer protections and whatever we do with tort. That's how we got to kill this bird, is that the, the, the GOP state legislators ought to do what California has done with electric vehicles, with big tech, uh, what, what Germany has done with big tech is if we pass aggressive laws and we have enough users in these big states like Florida and Texas, then it becomes essentially a universal law, an international rule that all companies operate under. And unfortunately, well, actually, I guess fortunately, that's why a lot of former constitutional conservatives like me are giving up our conservatarian cards and leaning into nationalism because this has just got to be a patchwork. Like, the Republic and these companies ought to be responsive to us, the citizens and the users. And we can't just have a hands-off approach and say, well, the corporate actor is going to follow where, where the market is. The market's rigged. It's always been rigged. We've got yeah. to wake up to it. And I, I'm very encouraged by at least conservatives are being exposed to what the real issue is. It's not the First Amendment. It's all about liability. And we ought to think about this in terms of risk management, not ideology. Also, the corporate actors have an ulterior motive. I, I'm a big Instagram user, even though I've been shadow banned out of existence. And, you know, I get all my, my best memes from Instagram. But, and lately I've noticed that my, my, my feed doesn't show the, all the memes. And <clears throat> instead, it suggests things like street fights and, and violence and uh, overt sexuality. You know, it's like bombarding the system because it's trying to brainwash the general public, specifically the younger generation, to become normalized to, to such things like street fights and, and overt sexuality and whatnot. Uh, on that note, I want to also say that I started this show to combat media censorship. 
Uh, I obviously didn't have a 3.5 million following like you, Roger. I, I, who knows how long I've been censored uh, and shadow banned, but my censorship, uh, I'm the type of person that if you uh, try to shut me up, it's only gonna make me talk more. And I think all of us are kind of on the, that same uh, wavelength. And um, that being said, I think that this panel that we have today is very unique. It's a, it's a panel that would rival any television network panel, uh, Tucker, Sean Hannity, all those guys. Uh, it's a very high level panel. And it's important that we work together and uplift new media voices because when, when our media voices are silenced and shut out, that we come together like, uh, like I believe it was you, Darren or Roger, who said that, uh, that Alex is doing a great job and needs, Alex Jones is doing a great job and needs to foster some of his business model onto, on, on, onto the, to the rest of the, of the movement. Um, and I will not shy away, uh, as Roger knows, and Ali as well, I have also gone into actual physical print to avoid censorship, uh, which the newspaper will be coming out very uh, uh, shortly. And, I, in, and that's some, you know, as you were talking about uh, the layers and substructures of canceling, uh, you know, it's, it's very interesting that the First Amendment is the right to the press and yes, they're, they're talking about the media press, but also the printing press. And to own our own presses and to own our own uh, media sources makes it more and more difficult to, to actually go and cancel us. So um, that being said with censorship, I wanna to turn to a completely different subject and get your guys' opinions on it. Um, the United States in this quasi war against Russia in Ukraine, Owen Troyer, and I'm gonna play this video that uh, Owen, um, that Owen uh, had on Friday, and, and it struck me so heavily. Um, Owen Troyer uh, is uncovering this story, he's one of the only people doing it, about American involvement in the war. And are we fighting a war in Ukraine against Russia, or is Ukraine fighting? Uh, I'm going to play this video clip and let you guys talk about it. Then there's this, folks. This is footage out of Ukraine where they're promoting Ukraine pushing Russian troops back. Now, you tell me if you notice anything from this news clips, news clip from Ukrainian news showing how they're pushing Russian troops back in clip seven. <laughs> They're falling back all the way. Yeah, let's go back. Keep moving. Hey, Roger that. Move. Let's go. He's so retarded. That was wild. <laughs> Didn't even get to the block Since when do Ukrainians have an American Southern accent? That's funny, isn't it? Since when do Ukrainians have a Southern American accent? Um, I'm going to play one more video. That's uh, Owen Troyer's. Uh, uh, recent um recent take on it uh the other one that i want to play uh is uh one that's being pushed all over the internet now, i don't know if you guys know what this is behind me that russian tank russian tank that was taken out 
Welcome to America! Heavy, heavy shelling again today. Uh, constant, non-stop. Uh, a lot of them very close to me. I don't know if you heard that, but there goes another. This schmuck over here. And one more video I'm going to play for you guys before we get to the panel. Um, it is the uh, uh, ABC running group of American veterans, some former special forces, medics now operating near the front lines. Our cameras with them as they prepare for a top secret mission. ABC's foreign correspondent James Longman is in Ukraine. Hi guys. Tonight, an elite group of U.S. veterans take us inside a life-saving mission in Ukraine. All right. Dark Horse is a group of former U.S. Special Operations personnel. They include Special Forces and Navy SEALs, and they're here in Ukraine to provide expert medical support. So this is the operational command center in the bunker under the house. Everything here can be stripped out at a moment's notice if they need to get out quickly. And the intelligence they're discussing here has been fed to them by Ukrainians. Then they're off, heading out towards the front line. So ABC is running cover on these American soldiers. And I want to get your guys' take on this. What, what do you think? Are, 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 is this a secret war? Is America sending troops in, former retired... Uh, Navy SEALs on special contract under the table. What's your thoughts on this, Roger? Uh, it, it occurs to me that um, operating within the aegis of NATO, we probably have far more American soldiers in Ukraine than we're being told. I also think that they're being given uh, drone technology, switchblade drones specifically, that may actually be turning the tide of the war uh, in Ukraine's uh, direction. Uh, if you try to tell the truth about the situation in Ukraine, the fact that in 1994, we signed a treaty in which we essentially allowed, agreed that Ukraine would be a neutral buffer, uh, that we would not put NATO missiles pointed at Russia in Ukraine. Uh, at that point, we didn't even anticipate uh, the bioweapons labs that I do believe are there. <clears throat> and this is if you just listen to what Putin is saying, these are his two objections. The idea that he wants to occupy Ukraine to restore the faded glory of the old Soviet Union is not, e not even economically feasible. That, that's not what his interest is. His interest, just as we didn't want Russian mi missiles 90 miles from the United States and Cuba in 1962, he doesn't want Western missiles pointed at his country uh, from what was supposed to be a uh, a, a neutral buffer. And the result of our pursuing this war in Ukraine has been to drive him into the hands of the Iranians, with whom we should be allied with the Russians against Islamic terrorism. And instead, we are pushing him into the hands of our worst enemies, people who have no problem uh, destroying us, even if it means destroying themselves. So uh, I do think that we are, we're, we're not being told the truth about the war. Uh, we're not being told the truth about the war's origins or its purpose. But the last time I checked, we were on track to write a check for $51 billion to Ukraine. I think the number uh, right now is 110 billion that we've actually sent there. 
And I heard, re- I heard reports that over 70% of that money did not make it. Only 30% made it to the front lines. Well, you have to wonder why the U.S. Senate would defeat an amendment by Rand Paul to have an inspector general keep track of where the money is going. Right. How could you possibly vote against that if you were any member of the U.S. Senate? Why wouldn't you want to know where the money is being spent? Uh, th- these people, this administration is driving us to the brink uh, of World War III. I don't think it's this administration, Roger. I actually believe that there's a satanic death cult that is operating inside of American government. And you see this with people like Marina Abramovich hanging out with all sorts of uh, fancy politicians and celebrities and whatnot. And you see companies like Reebok and Nike coming out with satanic shoes and really pushing this, this satanic death to the world agenda. And if you want to kill off the world and bring about the apocalypse, the best way to do that is to start a war with the greatest nuclear pl- power in the world, which far out outnumbers our nuclear capability. Russia has nearly double our, our nuclear arsenal. Um, but this is something that I agree, that, I agree that, with what you just said. This is something that, uh, you know, is, is very personal to me because I don't, you know, the War Powers Act of Geneva, the president's allowed to declare war for 90 days. Now, this administration is a loophole administration. They look for every way to go around, you know, the law. I think calling it a loophole uh, uh, administration is being awfully generous. I mean, we we had this resident in chief uh, say, well, you know, I know the Supreme Court's going to knock down what the CDC is doing uh, uh, with rent collection by by uh, homeowners. But um will buy them time. I mean, this is a lawless regime. It's a, you're right. And I appreciate you correcting me on that one. It's not a loophole regime. It's a lawless regime. They don't they they look look for loopholes when Democrats are 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 watching and they break the law when only Republicans are watching. Yeah. And Darren, I want to get your opinion on this too because you you were in the administration. Uh I I don't know if you had any experience in Ukraine. Uh but uh but what do you take about this? That if you're a Russian soldier and you are shooting and you're shooting back and forth, and the people across from you have American flags on their, on their, on their military uniforms, do you think you're at war with Ukraine or America? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it's very clear that our interest in Ukraine uh, amounts to a kind of, at least de facto proxy war. Um, with Russia, and that's always been the significance of Ukraine. Ukraine is important to us because it's essentially a playground for government operations. It's a playground for, you know, we America doesn't really exist anymore. I call it the globalist American empire, which right. is a term that I've coined that has gained purchase because it describes our reality. And uh, Ukraine is very important strategically as a playground for the globalist American empire, as a center for various influence operations, as a Darren, cauldron if I can, for, if I can color, for color revolutions that we've been conducting that have been have elevated to one of our uh, favored uh, vehicles for regime change. And so in that sense, it is actually the case that for the specific corrupt and illegitimate ruling class that controls the country, Ukraine is of supreme strategic importance. And so it makes sense in that perverse way that they're so um, interested in the regime there and in protecting uh, their uh, safe space in which to operate and conduct their various um, 
their various uh, operations. I, I like that word that you use, Darren, the uh, uh, imperialist, Amer you said imperialist American? Uh, globalist American Empire, which globalist has, American a, Empire, has a nice acronym as well. <laughs> Um, the the question that I have for you is: Do you really feel it's a it's an Amer it's a globalist American empire, or is America one branch of this Klaus Schwab overreaching World Economic Forum empire that seems to be very interested in this in the Ukrainian space? That's a good question, and I mean there are a variety of stakeholders globally, but as far as what's driving the interest in Ukraine and what's driving sort of wokeness, uh, which I, I addressed in a recent speech at the National Conservative Conference, I really do think it is fundamentally an American thing. I think wokeness is fundamentally an American disease that's exported uh, throughout the globe. It's not imposed on America by supranational institutions, by EU bureaucrats, by the WEF or by the UN or any of these other things. I think there there is truth to, you know, these are definitely nefarious organizations, but I think maybe underneath it all, there's this sense of wanting to pass the buck. There's a psychological difficulty with acknowledging the fact that America is where the poison is coming from. And, um, and uh, I think in terms of the strategic uh, interest in Ukraine, this is absolutely the case. And, you know, there are various dimensions to it, but just one dimension is like, if I think if if Germany were actually a real sovereign country and not essentially a vassalage of of the globalist American empire, its posture toward Russia would be very different. Like Europe's actual interests diverge pretty considerably from those with the United States when it comes to a policy with Russia. But Europe doesn't exist in any sovereign sense. Europe since World War II is a fun functionally a vassal state of the United States when it comes to these important geopolitical matters. And so you have the result of that, which is that Europe is facing a severe energy crisis uh, for geopolitical interests that aren't even their own. So um, the short answer to this, and again, I acknowledge there are many dimensions, many nuances and countervailing factors, but I think at the end of the day, ultimately, um, uh, the United States, or what I prefer to call the globalist American empire and the stakeholders in that empire's position geopolitically, that is the driving force of interest in the Ukraine and in uh, basically in this bizarre prioritization of um, Russia and Europe geopolitically, which doesn't really make sense when you look at what's going on in China, but it does make sense when you look at the interests of the specific stakeholders involved. Now, Roger brought up a great point. I'm going to get to you in a second, Ali, on this on this point uh, about the bio labs that are happening inside of Ukraine. Now, I, I Darren, I, I absolutely loved what you said. I think uh, yes, they, these are nefarious actors. But one of the things that they are nefarious about is their movement of transhumanism, and Ukraine seems to be the epicenter of transhumanism. Um, it, you, I've been to Ukraine four times, actually, and uh, it is by far one of the most corrupt countries uh, I, I've ever been to, uh, and, and the corruption index is through the roof in Ukraine. I want to share with you guys um, a quick article from Newsweek. Uh, if I can find this, here we go. Um, this Newsweek article, Russia claims 
soldiers are made into monsters by secret experiments. Uh, this was a this article uh, was from uh, July that Russian soldiers uh, are reporting that they're coming into uh, uh, warfare with, with monsters. I don't know if this is real or not, but it certainly fits the transhumanism agenda uh, that is being purported uh, regarding these biological weapons facilities that have largely been invested in by Seneca Holdings. Rand Paul gave an expose uh, detailing 11 biological uh, weapons facilities that are in Ukraine. And when I, when I hear a report like this coming out of Newsweek, I don't rush to give it credibility, but I certainly don't take it with a grain. I, I certainly, you know, wonder and speculate in the transhuman agenda, what is actually happening. And I don't want to pontificate, but uh, on Netflix, if you, if you watch every show on Netflix, it has some sort of transhumanism. There's a new show called the, um, the, uh, uh, what the imperfect, the imperfect ones on Netflix. And it's all about transhuman, transhumanism and biohacking and creating super soldiers. So Ali, uh, you're one of the brilliant minds in America. I want your opinion on, on what you think about uh, what Roger was talking about with bioweapon labs in, in Ukraine and, and, and it being a hotbed of transhumanism. And that's what this war is really about. You know, I, I, I really try to stay in my lane uh, on, on most issues. So I'm, I'm really concentrating um, on uh, election integrity office, obviously, and then um, the loss of due process. And so I'm actually um, going to be uh, doing a lot more writing of editorials and even some podcasting on lawfare against the republic. Uh, but what I will say is that and, and let me observe this, the, the genius and the brilliance of what's happening right now with this live stream, Adam, is that we're all systems thinkers. And the right doesn't usually think in terms of systems. It's kind of antithetical to a lot of the ideologies that occupy the right wing, but also a lot of, uh, a lot of people, frankly, who are interested in right wing politics aren't qualified to be systems thinkers. And so what's interesting is like, if this is resonating with you, it's because you know, the four of us, um, you know, approach things in a system, a complex system, and we're looking for feedback loops, be them positive or net negative. You heard at one point, um, um, Darren mentioned network effects. I mean, these are all, these are all important concepts and not just like jar terms of jargon. They are, they are concepts to understand, you know, how do we exercise power or not? But I think you're right, Adam, is that as I've come to understand it in my, in my, in my, regression from consultant to activist is I've also gotten more, I've leaned into my faith more. And when I look at, when I look at Ukraine, I can't help but feel that it was, it was a, a Hillary Clinton administration and Syria is where this was supposed to be taking place. And because mm. Donald Trump had no years, but four years on paper inside the White House, we're actually dealing with Ukraine. And, you know, Catholics, uh, faithful Catholics might be uh, familiar with Our Lady of Fatima. And so, you know, I think about this domestically. What are, what are we, what are the implications domestically? And that's that they are, they are torpedoing the U.S. dollar. They are torpedoing the budget. Um, mm. They are laughing in our face. I think, what is the international order? And this is more about the technocracy that is taking place by this satanic cult that eventually wants to turn the earth into a microchip, wants to turn the earth 
into one legal jurisdiction with several provinces. I mean, this is their goal, and it's it's been their goal, you know, since the foot of the cross. And then essentially um, the, the spiritual implications, and that's that, you know, if you look at the Nazis or you look at what the claims are by the Nazis in Ukraine, it's that the occult um, is mysterious, but they're they're always the technocrats as well. The technocrats pretend to be secular. The technocrats pretend to believe in the scientific method, but these people are actually always occultists. And this goes back thousands of years, thousands of years. And so I think that, um, you know, I, I try to stay in my lane. I have friends who are involved in humanitarian efforts in Ukraine, and I hear about some things that the Russians are doing that aren't being widely reported. Uh, and, uh, but but I also am not on board with Zelensky or Ukraine. And I, and I, and I you know, like Roger mentioned, you know, we are being sold the bill of goods in, in the United States. And I've last observed this, you know, in Soviet yeah. Russia, everyone knew the propaganda was in the national interest and went along with it. Uh, in the Soviet states of America, uh, most of the public is unaware of the propaganda and it's entirely against our national interest. And so we don't even have the luxury of being uh, 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 dumb and kissed on the mouth. Instead, uh, we're dumb and we're kicked in the ass. Very well said. And um, Ali, you made a, a really fantastic point about the collapse of the American economic system. While this is congruent- Oh, it's coming. We're, we're, we're hurling uh, towards the Great Reset. I know, you know, now, Adam, you're a very positive thinker. When I'm talking to Alex Jones, he's a very positive thinker. You know, Roger and I, when we get to enjoy each other's company, which isn't often because, you know, the FBI doesn't want me talking to him. The FBI doesn't want him talking to me. I mean- You guys are more than welcome to meet on my show anytime. <laughs> Well, you know, that's that's part of it, right? It's not only is there lawfare against all of us, but they also sow paranoia into our movement so that we can't reach network effects. And 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 I've watched this with great with great sorrow. But what I what I want to say is that you you, my friends, are, are usually the optimist and I'm the pessimist. And I, I, I hate being accused of black pilling, but the great reset is coming. There's nothing that we are doing to offset this. This is all about hurling us towards that so that they can make uh, again, a more uh, a legal distinction where we're under one jurisdiction. This is what WHO is about. This is what the UN is about. And I think that sometimes our movement, you know, isn't articulate in, in, in describing. We're great about talking about the occult nature of it, but we need to talk about it in secular terms and legal terms. And I didn't mean to interrupt you, but um, we're hurling towards the Great Reset still. Well, what I wanted to say on that, and then I'll get to the rest of the panel, is with the American collapse, uh, that uh, I found a picture over the internet that speaks a thousand words, and um, this is it. This is this is the result of the uh, the Great Reset. And if you look at these men, looking at uh, uh, at uh, at the Prime Minister of India, this is the new future Federal Reserve is the China, India, and Russian axis. Now, our war in Ukraine, while simultaneously collapsing the Federal Reserve, is creating this new monetary system in the world that not only do we not control, but we're disfavored at. And uh, I want to get your guys' points as we close out this, this show. Um, uh, Roger, I see you chomping at the bit to get in on this one. Uh, I want to make two points. Uh, point of personal privilege, since I'm very definitely the oldest person on this podcast, <laughs> having uh, celebrated my 70th birthday two Saturdays ago. Uh, congratulations. Uh, I want to say two things that are important. First of all, 
we have driven the Russians into the hands of the Chinese uh, and, and into the hands of the Iranians by our misguided policies in Ukraine. But secondly, a personal point, uh, and I think most people, many people know that after my full uh, presidential pardon, almost immediately, uh, my wife of 30 years uh, was diagnosed with very, very aggressive stage four cancer. Uh, and I think uh, I want to express to you, Adam, my deep appreciation for your help in that situation, because not only were you a great source of very valuable information regarding the treatment of cancer with cannabinoids, uh, but also helping us get the all natural supplements that led to the fact that today my wife is cancer free. Could never have gotten there without your help, Adam. And I, I wanted to say this publicly, I am deeply, deeply grateful for your friendship and your support. That means a lot to me. And, and, and you know, when this was, that was a galvanizing event that really solidified our friendship. We were acquaintances before that, but as an American patriot, after watching everything that you went through, I could not sit there and watch you go through that. And that, and it means a lot to me. Uh, and to anybody listening to this, to this show, reach out to the show. Uh, if you want our uh, cannabis cancer protocol, uh, it has had tremendous results for a lot of people and, uh, and, and we, we certainly are passionate about it and like to help. Um, so off topic, but it's something I had to squeeze in here in the time we had left. That's very kind of you, Roger. Thank you. Is there any closing words that you want to say, Roger, before we go on to Darren's closing words? Only uh, I remind you of Ephesians 6.12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That says it all. That is what we are up against. The answer lies in faith, our faith in God. Only our faith in God will save us. It's very hard to get to the point where you can abandon all fear because you have put all your faith in the Lord. It, it, you have to pray fervently. You have to fast. You have to contemplate. You need to reflect to get to that point. I've successfully gotten to that point. So I live today without fear. I don't know what tomorrow will bring. I really don't. But my faith is in God. Uh, and I believe he will deliver us from our persecutors and from the evil ones who seek to destroy our entire way of life. And I'm, I myself am a, a religious scholar and a man of faith. And I will say that it is always darkest before the dawn. And that is the darkest moment of the night is right before the sun rises. So, and I think that we're there. Darren, any closing words on the dismantling of the international order uh, and uh, the collapsing of the Fed, building up the new financial system on the, with Russia, China, and India? Well, I, it's difficult to address it briefly, but I'll only say that um, really the financial uh, type of censorship you see, which is another dimension of censorship and cancellation that we haven't discussed, but it's deeply integrated into the overall sort of deplatforming strategies. It's one of those layers of censorship. Uh, but the domestic version of that is really just a recapitulation of the sanctions regime that we use geopolitically, 
all of the sanctions tools that we used against Russia. That's just a broader version of the type of censorship tools and financial censorship tools that the regime exercises domestically against um, dissidents. And so the question is, how long can the United States lean on the global dominance of the dollar, not as a financial tool, but as a political tool? And I think they can lean on it a bit longer than a lot of us would like and would hope. Um, there's there's a lot to be done for you know China or even China partnering uh, with Russia. Really, India is, is an essential partner there, and there are a lot of competing interests. And so I think it's not as easy of a lift as it it might seem. But I think things are starting to look in that direction in the medium term, say in the next twenty years or so, and that will have profound con uh, consequences for the geopolitical position in the United States. And I'd simply say as a kind of provocative uh, closing thought that, of course, our first instinct is to say this is a horrible thing that you know, America's geopolitical position would would uh, plummet, uh, at least if these trends continue. But again, it goes back to what I suggest is that is America the epicenter of wokeness? Is, ep is America the chief incubator of the poison that we're all trying to fight against? And if that's the case, could we say that the uh, strength of wokeness globally, and perhaps even domestically, is somehow inextricably connected with the prestige and geopolitical strength of the United States. And if that's the case, would the relative diminution of American prestige actually create some interesting opportunities that haven't existed uh, for a long time uh, politically? And so I think these questions, you know, the answers to these questions remain to be seen, but um, we have to be uh, we have to be uh, extremely resourceful over the next several decades if we want to actually come out of this uh, in a strong and victorious fashion. Uh, thank you for that, and uh, I want to echo uh, both uh, Roger uh, Roger's comments prior to that uh, regarding faith. Um, I definitely think we have to be strategic in the next several decades, but if there's one thing that can get us through this, it is faith and seeing, and normally I don't talk about faith on the show or any of the shows. I like to keep it, you know, about the relevance and I like to keep my faith private, but since we are on a panel with Ali and Roger and Darren, and I imagine you're also a man of faith, but I've had lengthy conversations with the two of these gentlemen about, about faith, uh, I encourage uh, all Americans to to really take a step back. You know, the Jewish holiday of Rosh Hashanah is approaching, um, and that is when God decides who will rise up and who will fall, who will be rich and who will made poor, who will have power and who will be weak. And so, I encourage us all to take a step back and look within in the coming days uh, and really do some introspection. And, um, and, and come together. Um, you know, Roger, you said that uh, in your youth you were a libertine and uh, now you're a man of faith. There's no one that God loves more than the one who has repented and come home. That, that, that person stands on a higher pedestal and sits on a higher throne than the one who has never sinned. Uh, it takes a tremendous amount of humility to admit one's flaws. And that's 
the purpose of creation. So I wanted to thank you all for your transparency on this show. This was a wonderful show. Thank you, Ali Alexander. You can find him on True Social at Ali. Do you still have your Gibson Go? Yes, I do. What's the Gibson Go? Just Ali and Gibson? Uh, Ali Alexander, and that's a legal defense fund. It gets routed through uh, the law firms and never touches here. And, and yeah, we, we got several things on the congressional front, the civil front, both offense and defense. So thank you. I encourage all of my rich friends, go give to Ali and help this guy out. He's one of the leaders of our country and he needs your help. You can find Darren Beatty at revolver.news. Please tune in. Always the, the, the best source for news. And Roger Stone, you could find him anywhere, and he still didn't do anything wrong. Please tune into the Stone Zone. Thank you, everybody, for watching The Adam King Show. I am your host, Adam King, and we will be back next week with a new episode. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you.